Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad you're here today. It's good to be together. It looks like some people are taking advantage of the beautiful spring weather and taking off for this weekend. So, But I'm glad that you are here today, and welcome to everyone, and welcome to our guests especially. Uh, you're very important to us. We're glad that you're here. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask, if you would, to take those and fill them out so we can have a record of your attendance with us this morning. If you would do that, we would certainly appreciate it. Also, let me call to your attention uh, some, some activities that we have coming up. Uh, first of all, we will be uh, preparing and serving lunch this weekend or this, this coming Saturday at the Salvation Army. And so if you would like to be a part of that, it's always a, a good opportunity to to serve our community and to, to serve the poor of our community especially. And if you'd like to be a part of that, either by preparing some food or, for, or, or by uh, serving the meal, please see Christine uh, Cornelius to, to volunteer. Also, on next Sunday, on May the 1st, we're going to be having a May Day celebration. Uh, we're going to have a potluck lunch, and uh, just just for the fun of it, we're just going to gather together after the worship service, immediately after the worship service. The church will provide the meats, and if you would bring some veggies or desserts or whatever you want to bring, uh, if you don't bring anything, that's okay too. We'll, we, uh, you know, we have never run out of food here at Community Baptist Church, so just come and enjoy the fun. We would, uh, and it, we'll appreciate that. And then the following week, on May the 8th, uh, we will be celebrating Mother's Day with a Mother's Day breakfast. Some of the men of the church will be uh, uh, cooking uh, breakfast for the ladies of the church, and we invite you to be a part of that. It's great. We're uh, thankful that Heather McCormick is here with us, filling in for Jika as our pianist today. Thank you, Heather. Uh, we, We appreciate your ministry to us today. You know, the love of God is strong in this place, and so let me invite you now to stand and let us share the love of God with one another.
right, here we go. pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of life, for the gift of your Son, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Indeed, you are worthy to be praised and worshipped. We pray today, O God, that you would lead us through the trials, the suffering, and the sorrows that we face. Through the challenges and the struggles, the tired time, and the dark places. Be with those who weep with broken hearts. And, and with those who cannot sleep because of the burdens that they bear. Be with those who have no peace. Who seek release. We pray, O oh God, that you would take their yoke upon your shoulders. 
and give them rest. Lead us, O God, with the the grace and with love and with peace. And we pray that you would fill us with hope, with patience, with stamina to fulfill the work that you have set before us. Transform us, O God, and recreate us in your image. Transform us to grow, to understand, to see. And transform us so that we can be made whole again. And in that wholeness, may we be the hands and heart of Christ. Amen.
Okay, children, come on down for Miss Rachel. of a bunch of different things, and I'm going to see if you guys know what they are. It's a com- are you sure it's not a musical instrument? Are you sure, Joe? Okay, yes, it is a comb. You are correct. I thought I was going to get to thump you guys on this one, but nope. You're correct. Okay. Joe. <clears throat> Thanks, adult. <laughs> Did y'all hear? <laughs> what is it? Oh, it, it does kind of look like the letter E. Good. Yes. But as Miss Cre- Christine back there shouted out, she cheated. She was, you guys. She said it's a little letter opener. Well, if you take a letter and you say this is a letter and you want to open it up, you stick this right in there. And it's got a little bit of blade on it right here, and you kind of go, and it opens up the letter, so you can open it up quicker. So, yes, it does look like the letter E, but it, it is a letter opener. All right. Maybe some of you girls can tell me what this is. Yes. It's a hairband. Yes, it's a hairband. It is a hair tie. I figured some of you guys would be like, it's a rubber band. Okay. Yes, well, it is a keychain, yes, and it is a flashlight, but I've had, it barely kind of works. You can see it lighting up just a little bit. Yes, it's a keychain flashlight. Flashlight keychain. <laughs> it is a string, but a ribbon, yes. It can be used as a string, but it is a ribbon. To, like if you want to decorate your, um, your present or something like that, you will tie a little bow on it. Um, sometimes you got to have somebody hold it put their finger on it, yeah, or party and decorate with it, yeah. Okay, got one more. It kind of is like a screw, but it's actually a, it's used for like drywall, and so what you do is to hold your, help hold your screw in place, and, well, out. You actually put this and then this drills in there and somehow it helps hold it in there. I don't know exactly. It's a thing of a lobber and a, and a whatchamacallit. You know, a little mermaid wherever they're trying to figure out the, the fork sheet. He's like, it's a dingle hopper. No? Yes? Nobody's in the little mermaid? Alright. You're going to have to show, you have to show a little mermaid. Where is she? Oh. You're going to have to show a little mermaid in, in, um, in this, our children's church. Well, it's, it's supposed to hold um, a screw in there, help hold it. I don't know exactly 
What is it supposed to do? What does it do? Oh, it is? Okay, I was right. Yay! Okay. Well, all of these have purposes. Comb your hair. Yes. But what's really cool about some of these is they can be used for more than one thing. So you don't have to just use this to decorate. You know, you can use it like a string, you said, or to help um, hang it up on, on, your, on the wall. This can also be used for not only your hair, but maybe you've got a couple pencils and you need to hold them all together. At school, we have to keep pencils together. I could use it like, or you could put it on your and harm yourself. Sure, Joe. Um, sometimes. Okay, you sort them in. Them. Okay, yes, the t- yeah, your tins and stuff like that. They're called. Um, I should know this. T- what? Tindrick. Ten frames. Yes, you put them in ten frames. You put your ones, and then when you got ten of those ones together, you make your ten, your, and then when you got ten of your tens together, you make a hundred. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, Joe's like, okay, it's starting to click. Well, guess what? Um, we, are our, we are all created with a very special purpose. Kind of like this comb. It has one special purpose. Now, it could be used for different things. Like I said, it could be used to, as a music instrument. But it's really created for a specific purpose. In mind, God created each one of you with a very specific purpose. We didn't have a choice on how we're created, but we can choose to live according to our purpose. All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys.
Lord, we know that we cannot hide who we are from you. And we stand naked before you. You see what's on our inside and our intentions and motives that are in our heart. Help us to be honest with ourselves and admit when when we fail you. Help us to see the world through your eyes and to see the need and the hunger for your love and your grace because every person needs that more than anything else. We're so blessed and privileged beyond belief and we have so much more than we need. So bless us with humility and gratefulness and help us be generous givers in all that we have of our time, our talents, and our finances. Walk with us, Lord, in all that we do, everywhere we go, and with all those that we meet. Thank you for your goodness to us. And just give us a deep faith, love, and purpose, and the courage to follow Jesus' example. Amen.
today with a guest preacher, a dear friend and a great preacher, uh, Karen Thomas Smith. Uh, I've been wanting for Karen uh, to come and preach for Community Baptist Church for a long time, but Karen kind of has a habit of sneaking into the into the country and then sneaking out again. And and I'll, I'll hear, oh, Karen was here, and I was like, darn, mister. <laughs> But she was the uh, the guest, the worship leader, and the guest preacher for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship um, uh, annual meeting this past weekend, and we're having we're going to have to change the name of that. It's now the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Kentucky. It's not the Kentucky Baptist Fellowship anymore as of this weekend. But she was the guest uh, preacher this weekend, and I knew that in advance. And so I had the opportunity to grab her while I could and ask her to come and preach here. And we are blessed to have her. Karen is uh, the chaplain uh, to the ecumenical uh, Christian community, that, which includes the Protestant and Catholic and Orthodox Christians at, let's see if I can get this, Al Akawain? Oh. At that university <laughs> in Ephraim, Morocco. Uh, and uh, she is the pastor and leader also of the Protestant Church of Morocco. And I uh, was elected last year as the president of the Protestant Church in Morocco. And they have a lot of ministries with refugees and migrants there. And uh, is the co-president, with, along with the Catholic Archbishop of the Al... Uh, the Al-Muwafaka. 
that, that. <laughs> theological institution, Mawafaka, uh, Ecumenical Theological Institute. Uh, she serves on the National Council of Churches in Morocco and works nationally and internationally with uh, Christian-Muslim uh, relations. A graduate of Georgetown University, also received her MDiv at Candler School of Theology at Emory in Atlanta and an M.A. in theology from St. John's University. And she and her husband, Keith, have one daughter, Claire Amal. Amal is Arabic for hope. And so we are so glad that you are with us and are blessed to have you come and speak to us, Karen. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It really is a pleasure to be with Community Baptist. And if y'all are worried that I'm going to be offended because you're not bursting at the seams with people, please don't worry about that. In my little chapel back in Ephron, we're doing great when we have 20 people there. I mean, it is wonderful. And I want y'all to know, y'all had beautiful sound. I understand you're fewer in number than you usually are. Um, but my, my little choir on Easter had six people, and we sang the Hallelujah Chorus. I want you all to know. So, I mean, you can still do good music and be small, can't you? Um, it's, it, it is my first time to get to come to Community Baptist, and I've heard about you for a long time and gave thanks to God for you when I didn't even know you guys because of the presence of this alternative witness to Jesus Christ here in Henderson County, Kentucky, here in western Kentucky. People think it is hard to be Christian in Morocco. I think it may be harder to be Christian in western Kentucky than in Morocco in many ways because the Christian culture surrounding us wants to say this is what Christian is. And you have to say... No, this is what Christian is. We have this opportunity to offer the gospel of grace and freedom. And you do that right here. So already I am grateful for you as our partners here in Henderson, Kentucky. I do indeed bring you greetings from brothers and sisters of the Protestant Church in Morocco that has been in partnership relationship with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Kentucky for 10 years now. This is our 10th year of partnering together. We have lots of congregations that are involved um, with a sister congregation in Morocco, which is something that you might want to think about um, later on. But when you think Moroccan, you, you probably think North African Arab, right? Because 99.9% of the population is North African Arab. But our churches are sub-Saharan African, black African Mostly students, 90 plus percent in our churches, sub-Saharan African, young. The Église Evangelique au Maroc, the Protestant church in Morocco, has always been a church of foreigners. It started in 1907 with the French occupation of Morocco. And so, you know, the colonial presence there is what the church was associated with. But now the face has changed. We are no longer white. 
representing that colonial presence and therefore resented because even if respected as powerful, but black, representing neighbors to the south, not seen as powerful, but as powerless and frequently unwanted, much like Latinos are seen here in the United States. No matter what their status, when you see somebody speaking Spanish on the street, many, many people often automatically assume that they're here illegally, taking away American jobs. I mean, that's the subtext playing in the back of people's minds. This new incarnation of the church in Morocco is, in my opinion, an amazing gift, a wonderful thing, an embodiment of the theology of the cross that we proclaim our powerful witness to Christ crucified who himself became powerless and whom God raised to life. The church in Morocco now offers a different face of Jesus, one that is not allied with empire, be it political or economic, but with the poor who nonetheless know themselves and celebrate the fact that they are blessed, as Jesus said. I want you to know that you are already our partners in this by your participation in the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Kentucky. But I would indeed invite you to think about how you might want to be our partners more concretely with one of the congregations. We have a number of them who are not yet partnered with a congregation here. And we've only got 11, I mean, around the country. So it's it's not huge. Uh, but many of them are indeed bursting at the seams and having to do two worship services because the population is growing. More and more students coming. And when students come, they have this tendency to, like, fall in love and get married. Uh, you know, you've got them at that age. And so then we have people one from Congo and one from Burkina Faso, and so they don't go home. Instead, they decide to stay in Morocco and raise their children in Morocco. So the, the church is, is really growing exponentially, which is why uh, the, the trip that will be made from Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Kentucky in the fall will focus on education and specifically children's education because we are congregations that haven't had to do children's education for a long time. And now we have to do children's education. There are 70 children in the church in Rabat now. Seven zero. And we've got to figure out creative ways to do a lot with not much money. Y'all probably know something about that. Doing a lot with not much money, right? But they have even less than you do. Students have almost no money. So really, we have this tremendous youth and energy, vivacity, and very few resources. But amazingly, God takes what we give and multiplies. And there has new life has come to the church in Morocco. I'll be glad to talk to you more about that afterward, after the worship service. But now I'd like you to listen for a word from the Lord with me as we hear from the letter from James to start with. And then 
From the Gospel According to Ruth. So we start with James 2, 14 to 17. If you want to join me in reading from your Bible. And then we'll skip back to chapter 1 for a single verse. James two fourteen. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. From James 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And now from Ruth. And bear with me, this is a little bit long. We're going to start with verse 16 in chapter 1 and read through verse 16 in chapter 2. We start in the middle of the story when Naomi has just told her daughters-in-law to leave, right? And Ruth replies, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, The Lord be with you. 
The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz answered the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jar the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be truly, richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The book of Ruth is my favorite book in all of Hebrew scripture. It's great for a monthly Bible study like on Wednesday nights because it's got four chapters. So you see, once a week you can do each one of the chapters. But that's not really why it's my favorite. Yes, it's short. And it's not preachy in the slightest. The main characters are women which I like, and is totally romantic, right? I mean, chick flick material, really. And I'm surprised it hasn't been turned into a contemporary chick flick. And it's beautifully told. The the language is just really powerful. The story of redemption and hope, truly anticipating, even setting the stage for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Ruth, as you notice, actually begins not with Ruth, but with another woman, Naomi, telling the story of how she and her family left their home in Bethlehem due to famine. 
a great irony you recognize if you know the language because Bethlehem literally means Beit Lehem, the house of bread. They leave their homeland in desperation and find shelter in the land of Moab. I can't help but already pause here and note that this family could not do that now. Imagine being in your country on the verge of starvation and not being allowed to leave to try to find a way to survive. They certainly don't fit anyone's definition of a refugee. You know, to be a refugee, you have to be fleeing well-founded fear of persecution. And that doesn't even count people who flee war. You have to prove that somehow you're targeted. They were economic migrants. There is no way around this. Tight borders are a 20th century phenomenon, you know. We tend to think of it as the way things are and always have been and have to be, but that is not true. This is a 20th century thing. So it wasn't the reality for the vast majority of human history. And we can forget that if we have an American passport. My American passport allows me to go virtually anywhere in the world. Most places don't even require for me to get a visa. That is not true of virtually all the folks in the Protestant church in Morocco. From when we did choir tour two years ago, we had no idea if they were going to give us our visas or not. It's not true of my colleagues and friends who are Moroccan either. So when you're picking a place to do a conference, you can't go with just anywhere. When the foreign exchange students who come decide to travel up to Spain for the weekend because they can do it for a round-trip ticket of $35, they can't invite their Moroccan friends to go with them. The rules exist that we have created, but they're not necessarily fair. But let's go back to the biblical story. As you may remember, Moab was traditionally the enemy of Israel, marked in Hebrew memory in the story of Lot as a nation born of incest and tainted forever in their minds by Sodom and Gomorrah's ugly sin of inhospitality. But the Moabites' worst offense in Israel's reckoning was that Moab refused them hospitality when they were fleeing slavery in Egypt. We read in Deuteronomy 23 that no Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord even to the 10th generation. Count back 10 generations. If you've got a Moabite ancestor, forget it. Because they did not meet Israel with bread and water on the Exodus. Yet in Moab, Naomi and her family did find bread and hospitality for years. Long enough for her sons to find wives and make plans to settle down. Then later, the family's fortune takes a turn for the worse in Moab. Both Naomi's husband and her sons 
died, leaving her with these two Moabite daughters-in-law. Despite her years in Moab, Naomi was still an alien and now a widow in this foreign country with no means of support. So she was ready to walk back to her country and her people alone. A journey which we who have heard stories of migrants can guess would very likely have meant her death. But Ruth, herself a widow, refuses to let Naomi walk across a parched land to encounter at best misery and at worst violence or death. In joining herself to Naomi, Ruth chooses to take on her mother-in-law's suffering and precarity. To become with her a vulnerable woman on a dangerous path. Does that make you hear differently? Where you die, I will die. She's aware of the risk there. And even if she makes it with Naomi, she will be an alien and a widow in a land where her people are despised. What? explanation can we give for that kind of action? The only explanation is love. Ruth loved Naomi with a love that was probably engendered by gratitude for the love Naomi had already shown Ruth. This love compels her to go beyond the call of duty And so the two lone women travel an uncertain road together. In the last verse of the first chapter of Ruth, we discover that they arrive at the time of the barley harvest, a hopeful time in early spring, the air filled with the scents of dried grass and sunshine on the fields. But Naomi is exhausted physically and emotionally. You hear it in her voice when she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. That means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. It's the same word in Arabic. So you wonder at this point in the story, what's going to carry the day? The spirit of hopefulness or the spirit Bitterness. Okay, you remember that the Mosaic Law required landowners to leave the remains of their harvest in their fields for the fatherless, the widow, and the alien. Ruth actually fits all three of those categories. And so she volunteers to Naomi to glean with the others who were also in desperate situations. And as it happens, Ruth finds herself gathering up remains in the field of Boaz. Naomi will exclaim with delight when she finds that God has led Ruth to the field of Boaz. And indeed, the attitude of Boaz toward Ruth is astounding, is it not? To us, as it was 
to Ruth in the first place. Boaz, a landowner of some significant means, speaks to this woman from the absolute lowest ranks of society with the deepest respect. Boaz does not show any prejudice against Moabites. He doesn't despise the poor and rail against their freeloading. He does not judge Naomi and her family for having abandoned ship, having left the family behind years ago only to return as a beggar. And I have no doubt that there were those in Bethlehem who did despise and judge But Boaz, in contrast, takes care to honor Ruth and in his turn goes beyond the call of duty and law, inviting Ruth to sit and eat and be filled, a luxury which she had probably not known for a long time. We also forget that, don't we? as contemporary Americans, because we're so used to eating our fill. But that is not the reality for the majority of people who live in our world even today. It's a rarity. He gave that to Ruth. Then Boaz goes on to tell his field workers to protect Ruth. I have told them not to touch you. Did you hear that line when I read it? I heard a women's rights advocate in Morocco say that Moroccan field workers are particularly vulnerable to rape, even now. And I know a Catholic sister who decided to work the bean harvest one summer with women from my area in an act of solidarity and protection, knowing no one would touch her. Boaz is determined that no harm will come to Ruth. And then finally, he tells his field hands to allow Ruth to glean even from the unharvested sheaves in an astonishing act of benevolence. Boaz didn't think, if I do it for one of these migrants, I'll be overwhelmed with others who want my help. He didn't say to himself, I'll do what the law requires, but let her go somewhere else if she needs more. Rather, Boaz, in word and action, gratefully recognized Ruth's generosity toward Naomi and responded with an abundance of generosity from his heart. Now, we all know what spirit carries the day in this story, don't we? We all know how it ends, or rather, What abundance of generosity it yields. The joy of a wedding late in life. A child that will heal Naomi's broken heart. A legacy of generous and courageous self-giving that will see the birth of a king for Israel with a heart after the very heart of God. And ultimately, the coming of the King of Kings, the generous heart of God made flesh dwelling among us. My brothers and sisters, you can already tell I think this is a story for our time, for our day. 
We live in an era in which Christian faith is a badge to wear for folks who would be successful in this world, but seems to make few demands on us to structure our ways of living together, our societies, compassionately. This is seen nowhere more clearly than in our worlds, including the United States' policies toward refugees and migrants. Though it's better here than it is in the majority of places. I have to add, I worked with refugees in refugee resettlement for nine years before I went to Morocco, way back in in the 80s. In our world, though, the story of Ruth simply would not have taken place. It would have been cut off before it even started. Naomi's family in Bethlehem could never have obtained a visa to live, live, leave the country where they were stuck. I just saw a film last week that I recommend to you called O Little Town of Bethlehem which is about three peacemakers, Muslim, Jewish, and Christian, in the city of Bethlehem. And the Christian peacemaker there tells the story of how he could not get travel permission to go into Israel to a hospital from Bethlehem because they were under siege at the time when his wife was about to have a baby. He tells that story. If the family had gone on and gone illegally, Ruth could never have received a visa to return with Naomi after the men had died. And if she had come illegally, she would likely have been subjected to the sexual exploitation that Boaz was so determined to protect her from because she would have had to live in the shadows where all manner of criminal activity takes place. I want to tell you another story about two women. Sisters from Ivory Coast who are now living in Morocco, Edvige and Lydia. We've known them for a couple of years through the migrant ministry in the church in Rabat. And I remember when I met them again, I remembered having talked to them when they had first arrived years ago after this horrible overland journey they made to get to Morocco from Ivory Coast after a small-scale civil war in 2011. As a family from the same ethnicity as Laurent Gbagbo, the president who refused to step down, I don't know if you guys would have any memory of that at all, they were forced to flee their home. And they didn't know where to go, but were advised by others to try to get into Europe through Morocco. So they gathered up all the resources they could gather and paid the people smugglers who extorted extravagant amounts of money from them, made them pay bribes at every turn, and then essentially left them in sexual slavery in Tamranset, Algeria, which they eventually escaped. I invited Edvige and Lydia to come to an academic conference on migration that we were holding at Alahawain University, my university. We didn't want just academics to show up. We wanted some real people. Didn't want people just to talk about refugees and migrants. Wanted some refugees and migrants there to talk about themselves. And in the course of this, we watched a film 
by Boris Lajkin entitled Hope, which is very hard, but which I also recommend to you. The two women were both weeping at the end of the film. And if I'd known the content before we saw it, I would not have let them sit in and watch it. It was exactly what they had experienced in their journey. When they later gave their testimony, they both said, if you thought what you saw in the film was bad, reality was so much worse. Even upon arriving in Morocco, which is normally relatively safe for people, Edvige, who had worked in a little, the only place she could find to work because she was there illegally was in an African restaurant bar that was set up in a home. She ended up raped in that home, in that bar, by a client when she was the only one there. And that was just the last straw and devastating. She was crushed. Lydie, her sister Lydia, was crushed as well. And she thought, after a time, she'd better find out if she were pregnant. And she was. So she decided she'd just have to get an abortion. Strong Christian, in despair. Deciding she'd have to get an abortion, but went to the doctor. The doctor said, 23 weeks. She said, no, I can't do this. For lots of reasons. And decided to keep the baby. Lee D, in telling her story, said she hated that baby. She hated it with as much hate as she could muster for all that had happened to her and to her younger sister, Edvige. She hated the baby. And then one day, when she was sitting next to Edvige, she felt the baby move. And there was this love that surged up in her heart at that moment that she could not explain. She loved that child before she was born. They didn't know what they were going to do. They were there in Morocco illegally. They didn't have any way to support themselves. How were they going to support a child? How were they going to protect a child? But at that time, they started coming to the Permanence at the Protestant church in Rabat and got to know Pastor Jumel. He himself had been a migrant, got legal status in 2014. He accompanied them during this time, as did other volunteers. They talked with them. They provided her support for her pregnancy. They helped her at the time of the birth. They helped her after the birth, getting clothes for the baby, a little girl, Layla Sophia. Her name means both night and wisdom. Night and wisdom. And Lydia said to us, there is nothing in the world that I love more than that child than this little girl. And they had her with them while they were making the presentation. Twelve-month-old baby there. They said, however, that what kept them going in those horrible, horrible days was that they felt God with them. They believed that God was with them and they felt his presence. And then they found people who told them over and over again, God has not abandoned you. And who proved that by holding on to them.
and by walking with them. Jumel in particular, but others as well. People who were just there to listen to them, they said that makes a huge difference. Even when you can't fix it, to weep with them, but always to hold out hope. The antidote to a world, to an economic system that worships opulence and wealth and luxury and ease and sucks the life out of the poor is what the epistle of James calls religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Abundant, overflowing generosity and hope that starts in our hearts and translates into our social life and our social structures. James specifically mentions caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And so often in the Hebrew scriptures, aliens are added to that list, you remember. Sojourners among you make it into the top three considered the most vulnerable in society, an alien who has been ripped from family and community ties for whatever reason and needs the care and compassion of the people of God. Still, James was not trying to lay on his community a burdensome duty. I do not believe that. The generosity that we are called to live as Christians is not an obligation that we must make sure we do, that we calculate and measure out and hand over like the Pharisees would do with their tithes. Do our duty. The generosity to which we are called is a heart broken open that is bound not by duty but compelled by love. A love that does not originate with us, but that flows from the heart of God through us and all who have been touched by God's amazing grace and love. For in Christ Jesus, God's heart has been broken wide open to us and our world. And nothing will stop that. As the New Testament repeatedly shows us, generosity is closely linked to gratitude. When we experience grace poured out to us, the floodgates of our hearts and souls are open to become part of that flow. That's why the early church saw gratitude as the essential disposition of the Christian life. They even named the meal around the table, Eucharistia, gratitude, gratitude. Gratitude which yielded generous praise to God and generous giving to others. I don't want to leave you with any feeling of some great duty that is now laid upon you to fix the problems of the world. Mm -mm, I don't. I want to invite you into the mystery and joy of this dynamic of grace and gratitude and generosity. A threefold dynamic. I loved your Trinitarian cross over here, resembling in some ways how God is, who God is, this threefold dynamic at the heart of God's 
economy, God's commerce with the beloved world and the beloved, this beloved life. I think the best way to be able to increase our capacity to give of ourselves is to seek to cultivate gratitude, which is not the same as counting one's blessing, a practice which I never really found useful when I was going through hard times myself. I think we can rather, even in the brokenness of hard times, become alert and awake to the gifting of God around us. And I believe that through practice and prayer, we can train our intellect and emotions to be open to the wonder of God's gratuitous nature, pouring, redeeming love out to us at every turn and go with that flow. Allow ourselves to be shaped by that nature. Brothers and sisters, this is our calling in this place, in Kentucky, in Morocco, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. My prayer is that we will continue to help each other hear it and live it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Karen. Um, that uh, uh, exposition on the story of Ruth just reminds us that the more things change, the more they remain the same. And a lot of what uh, Ruth and Naomi went through are the story that so many people go through each day, even today. And so thank you for reminding that of us. And we Americans, uh, sometimes we are... Uh, that is something that's foreign to us because it's not something that we experience. And so this allows us to reduce that distance and experience it at least vicariously uh, through the stories of others. And I hope that through that it reminds us of our responsibility to our brothers and sisters who we may not even ever meet. It reminds us uh, of some lessons that we should respect all that we should love the lowly and help the needy. And when we do that, sometimes even those that we might consider our enemies will become our friends. And we will fulfill God's uh, command to us to love our brothers and sisters, even as we love ourselves. Thank you, Karen, for reminding us of that. Let us stand now and we will... Uh, sing our closing hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated.
Let's go from here as workers in God's upside-down kingdom, where the last are first and the first are last, where the needs are met in miraculous ways and where there is grace enough for everyone. And And may the blessings of God and the love of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit surround you and sustain you each and every day. Amen.